I come from a church administration background. I was certified as a church administrator some uh, probably 15 years ago. I worked in several different software uh, with several different software companies. Uh, the latest one in Gahanna here that's called Church Windows. So I'll be interested if we have any Church Windows users here today. But um, I left Church Windows to start Steeple because I saw a need for financial compliance and educating people about fraud in the church. So that's really my passion. I'm a certified fraud examiner, and so my goal is to keep fraud out of the church. And so I do a lot of education talks on prevention and that kind of thing. Uh, Hopefully you all picked out the handouts and information there on the way in. There is a card with my name, Mary Lou at steepleaccounting.com. If you want a copy of the handouts, if there isn't enough, or you want to share it with someone, if you would do that through my assistant. I have a part-time employee now, I'm happy to say. Her name is Claudette. So Claudette at steepleaccounting.com. That would be great if you're looking for more information a little bit later. So thanks again, Shelby. Um, The way this is going to work is you've got the little booklets with all of your sessions in here. There's a breakout session on page 21. That's going to be our session today. So if you have any questions, if you just want to jot those down when you have them, I'm going to go through four different topics today. The first one is going to be on key financial statements. In order to keep uh, churches out of trouble, one of the things that I've really noticed is people need to know how to read financial statements. If you don't know what you're looking at, it's kind of hard to tell if your church is doing the right thing. So we're going to go over some of those, first of all. Secondly, we're going to talk about donations and what are some proper substantiation, um, important pieces of information to have when you're giving people credit for their donations. The third thing is church and clergy payroll, and that's going to be really short, but there's a really important thing that I need to tell you today because there's been an update in that area. And then the last thing is internal controls. So um, again, that's the most important from my perspective because I'm trying to keep people uh, on the right track. So I'm going to start off with a story, and I'm uh, I'm going to read it, but I think it's going to get your attention and hopefully kind of set the stage for our talk today. The church renovations were done. All that remained for Pomacea Church in South Tampa was the last check, $58,000 to pay for repairs on a leaky roof. We were sure we had the money, Pastor Bruce said. But in late June, the check bounced, and the church's finances unraveled from there. Tom's and the church leaders found a roughly $200,000 discrepancy between what they thought they had in the church accounts and what was actually there. They dug into their records and, with the help of a forensic accountant, found more troubling debt payroll taxes owed to the IRS with interest and penalties totaling $2 million. The church files payroll taxes for its staff. Since 2007, Tom said the money was being deducted from paychecks, but most of it was not being sent to the IRS. We also found that there were IRS letters in the financial office. So the letters were coming in. The church suspected its business manager, bookkeeper, who he said had been in the position since 2007 without pay. She then resigned. 
the pastor said. He declined to identify her. There was a very high level of trust, so I think he said that added to the shock. The church has since instituted safeguarding procedures for collection of money on Sundays, um, pledged rigid in-house oversight of bookkeeping, and committed to a yearly third-party review. It has also been brought, they have also brought in a new bookkeeper for day-to-day accounting and have eliminated the business manager position. In the meantime, Pomacia has cut two full-time clerical positions and filled them with volunteers to curtail expenses. For now, the church will not be hiring and its ministry budget will take a hit. Isn't that sad? Unfortunately, I wish I could say that this is unique. In my two and a half years, I have found many instances of not only improprieties, but actually wrongdoing that was intentional on the part of church staff. So, although nobody needs to hear it, we need to know what can we do about it and what can we do to prevent it from happening in our midst. So, um, with that, I'd like to just get right into our area of financial statements and some of the key financial statements that I would like to go over with you. If you are a treasurer or, um, let's just get a kind of a read of the room. How many people are actually hired on staff to do bookkeeping or financial functions? Okay, quite a few, probably about half. And then how many are volunteers, treasurers, such like that? Okay, yeah, even a little bit more, so good. Anybody else that I didn't think of? Okay, so probably those two camps, most of the time you're either a paid employee or a volunteer. So one of the things I want to show, and hopefully you can all see the screen okay, um, some key financial statements. I'm going to zoom through these pretty fast. A balance sheet shows assets, liabilities, and fund balances. A fund activity report actually does the difference between the beginning and ending balances on a balance sheet. And a treasurer's report shows a profit and loss. If you were a business, it would show how much money you brought in and how much you spent. Those are three key financial statements that I think are important for people to understand. Hopefully you got your little fund accounting diagram. This is a really key uh, piece of information that I think can be applied to just about any software. The deal with churches is that um, most balance sheets look like assets. These are the things the church owns, like your bank accounts, your investments, your land and buildings. Uh, The liabilities are what you owe, O-W-E. And then this over here, the fund balances, that's where church accounting differs. In a regular business, you have owner's equity, profit and loss. In churches, hopefully we have a profit in that we have more money coming in than we spend. But those are designated down into what we call fund balances. The software program I use, it's one, two, three. So three are fund balances, which should match with the money that you have in the bank. So you're always looking to see a balance sheet from your records so that you can see the money you have in the bank and hopefully you're doing bank reconciliations each month that should equal the different pots of money where the money's been designated so people give for a certain purpose it needs to be kept in that in that pot then those fund balances are broken down into income and expenses. So in order to fund a certain fund, in, in a certain pot, or uh, 
you know, category. Um, you want to bring money in through your income accounts and then pay money out through your expenses. So this is kind of a nice diagram of the way it all works together. I didn't know I could roll up with my mouse and it would go backwards, so cool. <laughs> um, here's a balance sheet. This is a real typical look at one. So again, up top, you've got all of your money listed, and then this is anything you owe here, typically a mortgage if you have a mortgage on your property, and then down below, these are the different funds that you have. I'm sorry it's so small. I was hoping it was going to be a little bit bigger to see, but the bottom line is whatever you have here in total assets has to equal liabilities and funds. So your balance sheet has to balance. So if you've got a balance sheet that doesn't, you're probably in trouble right away. <laughs> you want to uh, check that out and find out what's going on with that. Treasurer's report, this is just a name I give for the profit and loss. It can include budget information. Does everybody know what a budget is? Typically a best guess on how much you're going to bring in and spend. Some people just budget their expense side. That's fine. And then they just pray for the rest, right? You just hope that everything's going to come in as you had hoped. So this is a typical treasurer's report that shows um, some budget comparisons. Important thing to know here is a treasurer's report or income statement covers a period of time. So it's going to be from January to March or a period of time. It's, it's uh, transitional. It moves through time. Whereas the balance sheet is a snapshot. So it's just a statement at a certain point in time. The next one I want to talk about is a fund activity. This one is really key, and a lot of churches don't really zero in on this. And the reason being is it ties both your income statement or treasurer's report to your balance sheet. So here we can see here's our beginning balance in our funds and then our ending balance over here. So what happens in between is the treasurer's report. So you should be able to take your total receipts right here and your total disbursements subtract them and barring any transfers between funds and sometimes that happens you know your board will say uh, you know what we fixed that roof we still have a hundred grand left in the roof fund we're gonna you know make a motion to approve that to be used for operations or something like that but typically um, this most money moves in and out through the income statement or the treasurer's report. So those are three really key reports to know about and check out and see if your church is doing those. Um, I do not. Um, I, again, if you want to contact uh, Claudette at steepleaccounting.com, and her name is spelled C-L-A-U-D-E-T-T-E, -T -T -E, Claudette. I'll get maybe Shelby to um, remind us at the end about that. So um, and here's a comparative balance sheet, and here's our best practice takeaways. So provide consistent, understandable financial statements to your governing body. Um, yes. Okay. And I was just going to say that the key financial statements is the balance sheet, and the fund activity. Correct. That's what I consider them to be. Okay. Yep. You. You're welcome. Um, 
Ensure that you have the necessary tools to secure credit and take advantage of investment opportunities. I did this presentation at a bank, so that was one of the things I wanted them to get across is that you really can't even approach a bank unless you have some of these kind of key financial statements. So, But the part I really want you to take away is if nobody understands them, do you understand how easy it would be for someone to scam you? and commit fraud. So what I hear all the time is I go in and I still do a little bit of training on how to use a particular software package or just train people on good practices. And I heard just this week, I was in Westerville, a church not to be named, and she said, you know, Mary Lou, nobody ever looks at this. And here she is, she's doing her bank reconciliation each month, you know, she's making sure the financial statements are done, and nobody is looking over her shoulder. So that's one of the things that that Steeple does and what we like to provide. We are not a CPA firm. We're not going to do your full-fledged audit. If you're over a certain dollar threshold, I know some denominations require you to have a CPA audit. We don't do that. We do a really thorough review, and we take a look at and just offer substantiation on what you have done and just confirm your balances. So any questions on this first section about the different statements? Thank you for asking that question about about the key financial statements are balance sheet, income statement, which we call a treasurer's report, and then a con- uh, fund activity, which shows the transition in the funds. I consider those to be the key three statements. Okay, yes? Uh, did you mention transferring funds? Yes. The, uh, the example of the roof. Yeah. Uh, if, if you were transferring the funds from the roof repair to another... Uh, renovation project that needed or uh, another ministry area. Is there any legal problems with that? Uh, the question is, just to try to repeat it, uh, is there any problems with moving money from fund to fund? Perhaps Shelby can help me out on this. Um, I think that it is required that your board or governing body actually approve that process. So, especially if funds have been given for a certain purpose, but typically if, the, if the, that purpose is used up, in other words, you can't do it anymore because you have a new roof. And so then you need to get authorization from your your um, governing body, from your board. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir? If it's a designated yes. individual, you have to go back to that individual to get that permission to use it across. I am actually going to defer that question. Uh, Shelby has uh, a session coming up this afternoon. Anybody's going to go to. Do you want to answer that question? Sure, I'll go ahead and give a brief answer. The short answer, yes, you you could go back to the donor. Um, Dr. Richard Hammer uh, does very clearly state in no circumstance should there ever be a time when you would refund a gift. Um, this is where, unfortunately, many churches lack in that there is not a good gift policy in place, which clearly states that for your gift to be a gift, you have to release discretion and control of that gift to the controlling body of the church. And so this is where having a simple document that when you get those designated gifts, that you say, we will use this project according to your preference, accept preference gifts as much as you possibly can, not restricted gifts. 
that's a key difference, restriction versus preference. Say we will do our best to honor your preference, but understand that discretion and control of these resources must be maintained by our, whichever your governing body is, if that's a church board, if that's um, a board of trustees, whatever it might be. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. We're going to actually cover uh, donations in just the next section here. So I'm going to table that question, uh, and we're going to get a little bit of clarification on that. That would be great. Okay, difference between fund activity report and treasurer's report. Treasurer's report is just income and expenses. So all the income comes in and then all the expenses go out. The fund activity tracks that between the funds. So you have a starting balance in your fund. Let's say you have a roof roof fund. And then you go ahead and this much money came in, this much money went out, the balance in the roof fund, that's reflected in the fund activity report. Excellent question. It transitions between the balance sheet and the treasurer's report. So it kind of, if you're an accounting type, it's like the statement in financial position. You know how they do the changes in the financial position? It's similar to that, only it's a fund activity report. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and move on to donations and proper substantiation. Let's go ahead and look at some information about that. This is going to be on your notes. You have um, the contribution, charitable contribution, basically rules um, from Richard Hammer that Shelby mentioned, a very respected authority. He's a CPA and an attorney. And every year I attend, um, perhaps some of you are members, of the National Association of Church Business Administrators. Has anybody ever heard of that organization? Yes? Okay, good. Um, They changed their name to um, the Church Network because they said it was too hard to to say NACBA, N-A-C-B-A, every time. So they changed it to the Church Network. But it used to be at NACBA.net, N-A-C-B-A.net. Lots of valuable information there at that um, site. N-A-C-B-A, Church Business Administrator. So national, N-A-C-B-A, dot net, Mm -hmm. instead of dot org. Good. Um, So let's take a look here, what we have on the slide. Acceptable written acknowledgement. No goods or services were provided in exchange for your contribution other than intangible religious beliefs or benefits. Um, This is so key. Uh, There have been cases that have been legislated or that have been um, um, that have happened that where people gave to the church sizable amounts of money and there was no statement on their giving statement on their receipt at the end of the year to this effect and the court ruled that it was inadmissible as a charitable donation. It was a terrible situation because it was a lot of money. Um, so make sure that you have the proper uh, written acknowledgement. And this kind of goes back to Shelby's point, which says, um, you know, we want to, there's no excuse for policy in your church. Let's make everything clear so that when people donate, they know what they're giving to and what the rules are. So in the case of restricted or designated gifts, now you've all heard of endowments where somebody, a lot of my East Coast churches have this problem. You know, somebody way back when gave money for a restricted endowment and the church can only use the interest. 
on that endowment. And that person, they can't go back and ask them anymore. They're deceased. They're gone. They're long gone. So um, we don't want to hamper ourselves in not being able to do ministry and have a million-dollar endowment sitting there, and we're, we're broke, and we're not able to run our church with our operating funds. So um, I'm going to table the rest of that discussion to... I'm going to put it on you, Shelby, for your workshop. <laughs> Hopefully people will be going to yours if they're interested in that. Um, one thing I, I do want to mention is timely acknowledgement. Let's make sure that we're getting that uh, by the end of January, all of those receipts. Uh, how many people do uh, quarterly statements for people? Good. Okay. Some of the bigger churches usually do quarterly or at least semi yearly certainly an, a time so that people can look at what 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 you have recorded for them for giving so that they can make any corrections prior to year end otherwise your january is pretty slammed with you know if there's any errors and sometimes it's just in the wrong pot again remember people are allowed to designate what their gifts are for your church policy determines that what can they give to the IRS says that people can't make up what they're giving to. You've probably had this happen, too. I used to work at a church in Lexington, Kentucky. And we had some people that were a little bit disgruntled with our pastor. And so they didn't want to pay for his salary. And it was like, so they wanted to donate to the Sunday school room curtains or something like that. It's like, you can't just make up what you're going to give to, like Shelby said. You know, when you're giving your gift within reason, you're giving it to this church for the ministry effort. So hopefully we're not in the place of nickeling and diming what these things are going to be spent for. That said, there's definitely no... Um, substitution for good policy. Um, one of the things that I always run into is you cannot designate specific individuals. This happens a lot on mission trips. You know, you're raising money. Again, have a team that is responsible for your mission activity. Have a committee or somebody that is, I know committee is a bad word nowadays, right? Have a team who is um, who handles that particular endeavor. Benevolence scholarships scholarships are huge a grandfather can't write on there Joey Smith for his kid to go to college and get credit for it so lots of restrictions on don't put individual names on your check when you're giving so you're giving to the scholarship committee that or that that fund then the committee oversees who that goes to who meets the need of that particular fund. So that's a real important one, too. Okay, example or questions on that? Yes? So if you receive a check with a name on it, do you have to call them or just account it? Um, part, the question is, if you receive a check with a name on it, um, hopefully you have a policy in place so that to prevent that, but I would say that, yes, I, w- I would nail, nick it right in the bud and say, you know, I, I received a, a list, uh, mission support letter from a woman actually back in Kentucky and she said please do not put that on there so yeah let's educate and and get that back to them and then have them you know write another check or whatever they need to do yes you don't want to send the note that you're helping them. So we, you know, we have people that give money to the church, help them you know, pay their gas bill or, or such. And that's, you're saying, no, don't do that. 
Well, <laughs> okay, the question is, uh, if you, you know, have someone in the church who is need, um, if you want to give them a gift, that's fine. I mean, but if you don't, you know, if you're just giving to the benevolence of the church so that the church-wide can determine who gets that money. But as soon as you put a check with their name on it, that ceases to be a contribution credit for you. So that's where the IRS draws the line. You can give a gift to anybody you want to, but you're just not going to get credit for it. So it's either or situation. Correct. That's right. Yes. So could you designate it not on the check? Like a lot of Hiding out, somebody will say, "This is for so and so." You're putting it in the account. You put it towards benevolence, but you've got records showing that it was for so and so family. Okay. So, you write a check. so the question is, can you um, get around it by not writing on the check itself and actually put it on the tithing envelope? Same deal. Okay. <laughs> we really don't want to go there, folks.